and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. Thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. All right. I'm, 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 I'm catching up on... I'm, I'm sick of getting... I see these movies, and then because of who I am, yeah. because of how I do things uh, since time immemorial, I wait way too long to actually write a review. <laughs> uh, I, I hear you. I, ta- I don't take notes during a screening. I think we talked about this last week. But I do... In the days following a screening, I think about a movie and then I'll usually make an outline. And then I'll, like, return to it from time to time. If I think of something, I'll keep notes on my phone and say, oh, I want to make sure to mention this and I'll put it in order or whatever. But as far as actually sitting down and banging the thing out, I wait until the last minute in a lot of cases. That's how I did um, it. That's what I did with all my college papers, too. Yeah, I'm saying that's what – so I – I like. I wish I had had my review of her up a day earlier than I did, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't, you know, because that's what happens. I, I put it off until okay, as long as I get it done this day, and then something comes up and I can't yeah. write that day. But I'm in a good mood today because I wrote and scheduled on the website my Wolf of Wall Street review, so that is off my mind. Will it be? Will it be posted by the time this episode goes up? Uh, no. Well, or is it embargoed? Um. I don't think it's embargoed. I put it up. It'll, it'll be posted within hours of this episode going up. Fair there's, enough. There's a pretty good chance, if you're hearing this now, you can go check out my review of The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and then hopefully I'll have The Invisible Woman and Labor Day reviews also up uh, this week. So Yeah, I have to write reviews of movies that are a, that are a mystery. One of them is a DVD review, and that one is that no one cares about, but I still need to write it. But there's one where the due date is – it's a known unknown. Right? The due date is. We know that we don't know the due date. Right. Yes. And but some people act as though it is a known known. Right. They just they just act you know, they they post it already. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought I knew. Turns out it was un, it was unknown uh-huh. when somebody said March. And I was like, Okay, March. This is a known known to me. But there, there must be playing somewhere. And this is this is uh, th- this is a known unknown, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. Is that it, we know that it must be playing somewhere in order to qualify for the Oscars. This movie, but where is an unknown? Is that a known unknown or an unknown known? Are they are they the same? A known unknown is you know that you don't know something. So what's an unknown known? Uh, that is the subject of some controversy in the film. Okay. So there are different uh, like basically that. The unknown known would be something that we know, but we don't know that we know it? Yes. That's really interesting. All right. Um, well, someday you'll tell us what movie you're referring to. Um, <laughs> I'm talking, of course, about the Australian film The Rocket, <laughs> <laughs> which um, I saw last week. Oh, the other movie I saw that I don't know. I'm in a, sim- a s- similar boat. I know it has a wide release date in like mid to late January, but I feel like it's going to have something in the next week or two to qualify for Oscars, but maybe not, is Gloria. Oh, okay. The Chilean yeah. film, which is great, by okay. the way. That is my review of Gloria for now, is see it when you have the chance. It's really, really good. The Rocket was very good. It's stuff you've seen before. Okay. But within uh, that, it's very good. But, um, so anyway, that's why I'm in a good good, good, uh, good mood, because I feel like I'm on top of stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, it's like a, it's part of my personality where I feel very, feel very good if I feel like I have been able to cross things off a checklist. Oh, absolutely. Like, even if it's, I know, like, the, to to a lot of people this sounds stupid, but even if it's, like, 
watching some episodes of a TV show or something. Like I feel productive when I'm doing something. Isn't like it? A, isn't it a shame though? This is something that I've talked uh, with friend of the show Jason Eakin about. That feeling of like, oh, I'm caught up on this thing. Uh-huh. Even if it's something that in theory is supposed to be fun and engaging like a television show or a movie. Isn't it a shame that our lives, when I say our, I don't mean people in general. I mean you and me. Uh That our lives are such that these things that for our entire lives until probably the last few years, our entire lives have been just, oh, so much fun. Such a, oh, such a delightful privilege to get to be a part of. It now is a thing to be crossed off and just like, like once it's like end credits roll and you're like, huh, okay. Like you just, like you just cleaned the house. But that's a positive feeling though. It's a positive feeling, but not positive in the way it used to be positive. Now it's positive. Like, okay, got my hair cut. Okay. Went to the dentist. Uh, Okay. I saw Wolf of Wall Street. It can be both. It can be both, but it's unfortunate to me that like, I don't know. I like having gotten my hair cut. I like having a clean apartment. Me too, but... And so if I could also enjoy getting a haircut and cleaning the apartment, that's a double. So that's what movies are and TV shows. It's a double. I enjoy doing it, and I get to enjoy having done it. My concern is that I'm against you, you here. I'm against you. Oof, I don't like that at all. Um, <laughs> that's, the old, that's the old Missouri coming out. I don't care if it's St. <laughs> Louis. It's all Missouri to me. Um, but, uh, and that's the thing. Okay. At this point, I am still able to enjoy movies as you are. Of course. But when I, I do I'm worry to enjoy movies, I will kill myself. I do worry that you, if we keep doing this in some capacity years from now, let's say 20, 30 years from now, we wind up it, it's we wind, wind up more enjoying the fact that we've watched the movie than actually enjoying mm-hmm. the movie itself. And to the point where, like, I think we could lose perspective and it just becomes a job like anything else. I think I'm I, I, I'm thinking, of course, about Rex Reed. Uh, as we all should eventually. Uh-huh. He released his list of like the worst movies of the year. And look, everybody has their different opinions. That's fine. you know. And I recognize that To the Wonder is not a beloved film, even amongst uh, Malick fans. But he also hated Inside Lewin Davis and uh, a handful of other things that I cannot recall. But uh, things that are... And that's the thing. I'm okay with, with everyone having their own opinion, but Rex Reed just seems... Hold on. I'm trying to Google Rex Reed worst films of the year. I put in Rex Reed worst and Rex Reed worst critic came up. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm not a I'm not opposed to someone having a contrary opinion. Sometimes I do, sometimes you do. That's fine, but it's just if you read his reviews, they're just they're just the worst. Like the his his way of thinking is just like why are you even doing this? You don't seem to like it at all. It's just I don't know. So to the wonders number one, oh, he hated Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people um, did, though. The Fifth Estate, a lot of people didn't like that as well. Yeah. Identity Thief, which one was that? Oh, you saw that, didn't you? I did, it was good. Oh, okay. Uh, Lone Ranger? Her? Oh, fuck you, Rex Reed. Her's awesome. <laughs> Spring Breakers is also awesome, so you don't know what you're talking about. Inside Lewin Davis, loved it. Old Boy, didn't see it. Charlie Countryman, didn't see it. That's it, that's the 10. Yeah, and so, that's the thing. It's it's nothing against... Okay, I... I Having a contrary opinion, that doesn't, again, it doesn't bother me. It's just he doesn't seem to take any joy in his job. And admittedly, he is one of the, he's a, he's a longtime critic. He's been around a long time. Been around the block. He's been around the block. And so I just worry that as we get older, we will turn into turn him. Turn into Rex Reed. <laughs> where it's just a job and, and you become bitter about it just like every other job. Well, I doubt it. I don't see myself be, being that. But it could happen. We don't it, know the future. No yeah. no sense worrying about it. 
This is therapy, David. Talk. Oh, right uh, watch out. Okay. <laughs> Just as long as I don't don't turn out like uh, Jeffrey Wells, then I think that's a win. Yeah. Well, the yeah, the fewer of him in the world there are, the better. Yeah. Um, but that's not the that's not the point. I don't like. I don't like to, uh, having opinions on other critics. I like having the opinions. I don't like oh, saying no. them on a podcast. I don't. I, I don't like having. About it. I don't like having opinions of other critics. I have no problem having an opinion of Jeffrey Wells because <laughs> uh, I don't think he is that at all. <laughs> all right. Just I think that- he's an he's an online personality. Okay. Who happens to talk about movies sometimes? Um, okay. I have uh, I have not read that much of. Uh, his stuff, but what I have read has given me a very similar opinion. Yes. And I will leave it at that. Sorry, there are- I should explain. I've been alone all day long today working and trying to get myself in a good mood by watching Muppet Christmas Carol. Did it work? It, it did work. Uh, Doesn't seem up, like it. Up to a point. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I just, uh, I'm just tired and I'm a little stressed and I think I'm taking it out on people. <laughs> So, okay. Um, well, we, um, well, this is going to turn into last week again. Um, let's, well, let's make sure it does not. Yeah. Yes. We, we wanted to talk about Peter O'Toole. We did. Or you did. Cause, yes. um, and I did too, uh, because he passed away this week and I'm as did Joan Fontaine, but I, I'm sorry to say, I don't, I don't know as much about her as I do about him. Sure. Um, and both of us, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember, um, we, you and I have in a couple of different instances, both, years ago on this show and then somewhat more recently like a year and a half ago for uh film school rejects put together lists of what we considered our favorite films of all time yeah and for me i can't remember for you for me lawrence of arabia was on the list both times i believe it was on mine yes yeah um so it makes sense that you and i would want to talk about peter o'toole because he's the star of what is as far as, as close to objectively as you can get one of the greatest films ever made yeah, and the fact that uh, it's just, I want to talk about other performances of his as well, but in this case, think how hard of a job he had. Like, what by the end of that movie, how much do you actually know about T.E. Lawrence? Right. Almost right. nothing. Yeah. And yet, the, he had to play this guy knowing full well that he's uh, enigmatic, but you can't play somebody as enigmatic. You know, you have to play him as <laughs> having motivations and such. Yeah, but they're only but they're your own and you're not going to telegraph them. And I think and so he had an epic movie on his shoulders and that's the part he's got to play as much as don't get me wrong. I think Alec Guinness in Bridge on the Requi is amazing, but it's a bit more it's a it's a bit more of an ensemble cast and his motivations are always fairly clear. They're not always you can't always understand them Mm -hmm. from the point of like I would do that, but you always they're clear to you. Uh, you have sympathy for them, but maybe not empathy. Peter O'Toole as Lawrence, just, I don't know that, that to me is just, it's, it's one of the best performances, uh, ever. Um, but I'm not sure if I would even say it's his best. What would you say is his best? Um, I do. There's a movie called, uh, the ruling class. Mm-hmm. which is a wonderful, amazing film about a guy who is insane and thinks that he is Jesus. And then he gets, and he's part of a, like an aristocratic family. And so they, <laughs> so they, uh, and it's a, it's a weird, like madcap seventies, crazy ass movie. Um, but, uh, 
so then his aristocratic family, like they, they send him to, uh, they send him into therapy and then he comes back and he's much more able to, uh, integrate with them and they're like okay this is much better well it turns out he now he just thinks he's jack the ripper but he's much he's much more able to work with these people so that so that's it's kind of two great performances there uh linked by this character who's just a frustrated idealist um i think he's wonderful as henry the second in two different films they're not one is not a sequel to the other but in lion and winter he's amazing He's really great in Beckett. I love Beckett. Right, yes. Um, did you and I watch that together? I believe we did, yes. That's when we used to do that. Um, pals. <laughs> um, um, now we just watch things separately and then come and talk about them. Yeah, that's true. Um, when was but, that time you and I saw a movie together? Either... Nebraska. Oh, yeah. We, but that we, doesn't we didn't count. see it together. We just happened to be at the same screening. Yeah. Uh, I could not tell you the last movie we watched together. Yeah. The Host... 2006 was that the last time you and I went that was seven and maybe 2007 um no there's got to be something else right (laughs) I would think so oh well we went to see uh Los Angeles plays itself that was in 2008 that's true yes that might be it (laughs) oh no we just saw Ravenous together oh there we go oh thank god um but uh so and then I thought he was amazing in Venus I love him in the stuntman uh, I love him in my favorite year. I'm sorry to bring up only his Oscar nominated performances. Even, okay, the movie Troy is a bunch of horse shit, but uh-huh. he is great in it. There's one scene in particular where you just see this, you know, amazing classical actor acting circles around the big movie star, Brad Pitt, who was out of his depth in that film. Um, and it's just, uh, at some point, I think there's, we've we've kind of touched on this a little bit in the past, the idea of a classical acting style versus a uh, mm-hmm. modern acting style. Peter O'Toole is kind of in the middle of that, especially because he is, you know, he was British. And so, and he had a natural theatricality to him. Um, and so, you can watch his stuff, and I, there are times when I watch his movies, and I feel slightly distanced from his performance, because I feel like I feel like I can sort of see the strings, but I also recognize that a lot of the performances, a lot of the characters that he plays, tend to have that. They have a theatricality to them that they themselves play up. But then you see him in Lawrence, you see him in Venus, you see him in a number of things, and you see, oh, he can do like he can do subtle and realistic and minimal when the when that is what the character requires, and so. Uh, so I think he's somebody who kind of bridged the gap between like a Lawrence Olivier and uh, yeah, like a, a Michael Caine or something like that. Um, okay. I want to mention The Last Emperor, okay. um, Ratatouille. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then I want to – he had a small part in a really great movie that Stephen Fry directed called Bright Young Things, mm. um, which really is a really great underseen movie. And then I also want to mention the – I don't know if you remember the Mr. Show sketch – for the uh, the house for the blind, where every item in the house, if you get too close of it to it, it has a speaker that announces what it is, so you don't bump into it. It's like I am a chair, I am a chair. But if you pay extra, you can get the version where they got all the celebrities to do the voice. So it's like, go get him, Rocky. I'm a lamp, Burgess Meredith. <laughs> and then when he gets close to the TV, it says, I am a television set. Did you hear me? A TV. 
Peter O'Toole. <laughs> That's not him, though, right? No, no. I didn't think so. Um, it's like a really ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculously overdone British accent where he says, did you hear me? Peter O'Toole. Did you ever see, this is not close to Peter O'Toole at all. I think this is a UCB, uh, sorry, an Upright Citizens Brigade uh, sketch where... Um, like this uh, company of the future has gotten a license, uh, has licensed Wolfman Jack's voice. <laughs> and so, uh, so everything, so like you and I saw a demon seed where it's like this automated yeah. house. Okay. And the house has a voice. Well, in this case, every single thing that you interact with has Wolfman Jack's voice. <laughs> and so, so like, for example, when somebody rings the doorbell, it doesn't go ding dong. It goes, Oh, Wolfman Jack says someone's at the Dell. <laughs> and so stuff like that. And I thought it was just hilarious. I don't know if Do it's. And then we're just spinning off into all sorts of different things. Do you remember when the Simpsons got the doorbell that played uh, Close to You by the Carpenters and it got stuck and it just kept playing that song? Well, I think. No, the one. Uh, they play um, Why Do Birds Suddenly Appear? Because right, that's. It's called Close to You. Is that. Yeah. Just like me, they long to be. Which one am I? Uh, that you. that is the song. It's I didn't know. It was, I didn't know it was by the Carpenters. That's interesting. Oh, it's not originally by the Carpenters. I think it's a. I think it's Burt Bacharach. Yeah, the, right. the Carpenters popularized it. I think. Okay, all right. Um, I thought it was okay. Uh, I want to. You know, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like that's right. Uh, anyway, and Lisa says, "Um, I have a test tomorrow, and birds suddenly appear." I mean, <laughs> English. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about our sponsors. TweakedAudio.com slash pretension, for example. TweakedAudio.com, T-W-E-A-K-E-D, audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. They're very sharp. They're very bold. Uh, they really they stick out and they stick in to your ear, and you listen to whatever you want in perfect quality. And if you go to TweakedAudio.com slash pretension, you get one-third off, and you don't have to pay no shipping charges. So um, I feel like you're trying to trick them there. <laughs> no, you 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 do have to pay no shipping, no shipping <laughs> charges. Uh, you, yes, I confused myself there. Uh, all right, do we have any other sponsors? Uh, we do, yes. And uh, although I'm sure they regret it at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is our last week talking about uh, Mirage. Now, I actually don't have anything to read in front of me. Uh, I'll just sort of uh, repeat. Or do you? How many cans in are you? <laughs> uh, oh, of this, about an eighth of one. I'm okay, just in a good fair mood. I just I told I started the thing saying I was in a good mood. All right. I had a rough week at work. But so now it's now it's over. Are no, you? I still have to go to work tomorrow. I'm sorry to hear that. And Monday. Uh, but oh. That sucks. And Thursday and Friday. Look, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. You got to quit that job. <laughs> All right. I like my job. Just do Battleship Retention full time. Oh yeah, I, I would love to. I do like my job. Some days I have to remind myself that I like my job. Yeah. But uh, I do like my job. Heart, this is the head. You like this job. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I want to talk about uh, Mirage and remind everybody. So. Uh, it was written and directed by Kyle Valley, who's primarily an actor. This is his uh, writing and directing debut. It's a 10-minute short film about a lone soldier trapped in the, uh, I mean, not tra- I don't know if you'd call trapped in the deserts of Afghanistan. Is it stranded? trapped? Stranded? That's a good one. Yeah. So stranded in the deserts of Afghanistan. Uh, it is uh, surreal. It explores uh, themes of death and loss and 
philosophy and religion and all of these things. It, it, I believe the way he described it was we were soldiers, which I didn't see mixed with, uh, like what's, uh, what's like a super like apocalypse now. Okay. So, um, and I believe he said the shining, which is not right. a war film, yeah. but, um, but yeah. And so, uh, I'm very, I'm very eager to see it. It is going to be, uh, you know, making the rounds at film festivals. So, uh, you can go to miragepresskit.com, uh, and check in and see where you might be able to find it. Uh, or you can go to the ad at battleshippretension.com. Uh, and if you don't know where those ads are located, they're located on the, on the side of the website. If you scroll down, there will be a section that says sponsors. You can click on that. That'll take you where you need to go. On the right side. On the right side. Don't Thank go looking you. on the left. You'll be looking all day. Exactly. Right. Find it. They're on the right side. They're on the right side. Keep an eye out. Uh, but yeah, and so check out Mirage and, uh, and Kyle, thank you very much for uh, partnering with us. And uh, we wish you the best of luck in your uh, film festival activities. Moving on. Uh, and before we move on to the topic, I would like to thank our good friend Kate Kolzik from the Televerse podcast who mm-hmm. sent us cookies second year in a row. Yeah. Christmas, I guess they're Christmas cookies. Which you have apparently decided to eat now on the air. That's what we did last year. Fair enough. Yeah, but at the time it was much more charming because it had, it was Pat and Steven. That's right. We had enough. Yeah, uh, and there were four of us, so we could, you know, I could lean back for fifteen seconds and take a bite of a cookie. Yeah, uh, and as it is, and I can't eat any of these things because, as you've commented to me, I'm a very loud chewer, and so I can't. Uh, have I commented on this? Yes, you have. Oh, oh, that sounds rude of me. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Did no you idea. notice how I didn't uh, <laughs> contradict you just there? Uh, well, it's, I guess it's rude of you to chew loud. Um, that's how I sound. Yeah, that's that's, that's disgusting. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned that these are Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because it's a Christmassy time of year. And we've decided to, to not research and see if we've ever done this topic before. Uh, and just say that we haven't, and just talk we, about Christmas movies. We ostensibly did uh, several years ago with Sean Conroy, but as will often happen with uh, a guest, especially like, a comedian guest, a comedian guest, we we didn't stick to it very much. Um, so, and that was several years ago. Uh, we since have hundreds, if not uh, thousands, of more listeners. So, uh, so let's talk about Christmas movies. Let's talk about Christmas movies. Absolutely. Now, is this inspired by? I should look it up. Someone on Twitter asked us recently. To name our top three, as, as both of us. Oh, I guess I guess he did. I this was not actually uh, inspired by that, but that's true. Uh, somebody did ask that, uh, and so I don't. Uh, part of me wants to get into, hey, what makes a Christmas movie? Obviously, it can't just be that it takes place at Christmas. Otherwise, Eyes Wide Shut would be a Christmas movie, which it is not. So, don't think so. I don't think so. So, in your opinion, what makes a Christmas movie? It was it was at Aggie Nate, by the way, is the one who asked us. Okay. Well, I know that asshole. <laughs> um, I guess I'm trying to think about what my, what I considered my favorite Christmas movies, and um, I think as someone who does not see Christmas, here's the deal: I'm not actually super into Christmas, and I like I don't like. Maybe, like, at a time when I was in high school, I said that sort of, like, to be contrarian or whatever. I'm not trying to be a dick or anything. He would pump his fist in the air. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, fuck you, Christmas. Um, (laughs) But I'm not like that anymore. But Mm -hmm. I I, I honestly, I just don't get that into it. Like, I buy shit for myself throughout the year. 
so it's not about presents. Um, I, I'm not going home this year, going like back to St. Louis this year. So it's not about that. But I thought I, I was thinking, what do I enjoy about it? And that's something that I like is a sort of sense of togetherness. It's usually it's cold outside. So people gather, mm-hmm. you know, um, which basically, I mean, it's the same thing I like about Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I like Thanksgiving more cause you also have this element of, uh, all this great like food, you know, yeah. this starchy food that I love. Um, but, uh, so I was thinking about, um, uh, I guess themes of, uh, of togetherness and, uh, cause I thought of when someone asked me, and again, this is like, maybe there was a time in my life when I was being ironic or trying to be a dick when people say this, but when someone asks me what my favorite Christmas movie is, the first thing that always comes to mind is Die Hard. Okay. And not just like, it is the movie I've seen more than any other. Um, but it, it, it is. It doesn't just take place at Christmas. Like it really embraces it. It takes place at an office Christmas party. The um, the score by Michael Kamen, like clearly with has has bells and stuff in it, is clearly uh, referencing the the season. The um, characters acknowledge it. Stuff even if it's like yeah. you know I, now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. Yeah yeah. Stuff like that. But also it's about a guy, um, trying to spend time with his wife and kids. You know, a guy who's for whatever reason he's fucked up or he's been too involved at work and not enough involved in his family and they yeah. and things have become seemingly irreparably broken and he's and he's uh he's not taking christmas as a vacation or whatever he's taking it as a chance to try and reconnect with his family and i think that's what's at the heart of that movie and the heart of john mcclain which becomes increasingly forgotten as movies move on as, as the series moves on but um uh, i think that's why i think of it as a as a christmas movie because i think of I guess I would just always think of like, you know, there's always like the cheesy like Folgers commercial when we were a kid about like the uh, the soldier comes home from Christmas and he comes home at, like early, mm-hmm. you know, and to surprise his parents, but his little sisters although already oh awake, that's right and yes. they have like a cute little moment like where they have coffee before they go wake up the parents yeah like I always think of that kind of stuff for Christmas people coming yeah coming together you know you think of the end of It's a Wonderful Life you know his brother yeah. comes. Uh, am I right? It's, it's been a long time, but doesn't he his his brother who's at war or something? No, his brother goes to the war. Anyway, his brother's there at the end. Yeah, right? his, yeah, his brother has. Uh, oh, I was I was about to give the whole backstory of the character, which I don't need to do. But yes, right. his brother's there. Yeah, his brother shows up at the end uh, it, with the whole t- town and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I think of when I think of Christmas: is people coming together. Yeah, uh, and if you look at it like that, uh, I would I would add another element, and uh, that Die Hard absolutely falls into, which is uh, sometimes Christmas movies are an ensemble, but it is it often there's usually a main character, uh, and he needs to sacrifice something. He needs to lose something or get past something, or work through something in order to get that togetherness. Mm -hmm. It could be John McClane working through, yes, his own issues, but also the very literal uh, obstacles uh, and danger uh, in order to keep his family not merely together, but safe. Um, Or it could be Clark Griswold, and what he has to fight through is his own preconceived notions of what Christmas is. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. And just so if you look at it like that, then you <laughs> maybe Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. 
<laughs> I mean, it does wind it. Uh, think about it. The last the last couple of lines are all about togetherness. Yep, it's true. Um, and so, uh, so and then uh, a movie that I really have come to love uh, over the years as a Christmas movie, albeit one that maybe a little too much adopts the mentality that you had uh in high school right. is of course uh, terry's wygoff's bad santa mm-hmm. a movie that i find to be tremendously funny although maybe now it's it could be viewed as a little tame um since <laughs> since movies like the hangover have come out you know that masterful trilogy that uh you love more sure. than any other not christmas though not christmas not yet you think that's for be a- that's for the the prequel trilogy ah. of the hangover um but yeah, uh, Bad Santa, what I like about that, and you you find this from time to time, is most Christmas movies are about family togetherness. Uh, Bad Santa is about a makeshift family, It's which has always been uh, uh, something that, like, I don't know, something that, like, hits close to home for me. Not because I don't have a family, but because, you know, when I stay home for Christmas, it's usually... Friend, I'm hanging out with yeah, friends yeah. in lieu of of family, and so can I tell you? Can I tell you for the billionth time in our friendship that you should watch all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because that's essentially all the show is about is about makeshift family. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'll watch it this week. I'll, I'm taking the week off. I'll watch Naked. I'll watch Late Spring, Scott. Don't worry, and I will watch all of Buffy the Vampire. One hundred and forty-four episodes. That shouldn't be a problem. Um, literally a gross of episodes. Is that what a gross is? 144, yeah. Oh, my it's 12 gosh. times 12. Now I'm second-guessing myself, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. That's that 12 times, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Bad Santa, you have a character who has to get over a number of things. Somebody who's only viewed Christmas, a season of togetherness, as a way to exploit uh, other people's togetherness for his own personal gain and selfishness. Um, and he gets... Excuse me. And he gets over that. And then by the end, you do have this odd little family that certainly does not work the way other families work, but everybody is better having come together to make sacrifices for one another and just, they all make each other stronger. Um, which I think is kind of what the, the family unit is meant to do is Mm -hmm. you're all one strong unit. And so, um, so to me, Bad Santa is something that I used to think was not even – I mean it it has a as meaningful an ending as a, as a movie like that can. But I used – I think I, I used to think of it as just a this subversive kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is. What was that? I want to get into a couple of other – Yeah. Once you're done with Bad Santa, we'll move into – Yeah, and so I think it – I think it is that. It's, subvert, it's subversive of the cliches – but it actually buys into the the appeal of Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and I should say that for my my entire life, I have lo- I I love Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a I've had a few bad Christmases. Did I ever tell you the story of the worst Christmas of my life? So bad it's actually funny. No. Okay. Is this? Fit for public consumption? Yeah, yeah it's 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 fine. This isn't like inside the Smith family. No, like? I've 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 I think I've told this story on my other show. Okay. Um and it's the okay. It was the Christmas after my father had passed away. And um so it was going to be my mom, my grandparents, and myself. So four people. And it was sad just in general to just watch like Christmas when I was younger, 
there were like 10 or 11 people and just watch it, you know, as, as people move away or as I, or as my family moved away, it just dwindled and dwindled until it got down to in this, this year it was going to be four. (sighs) And then, uh, and then like Christmas morning, uh, my grandma, who's always had a number of health problems, she had like a bloody nose that wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And so my grandpa and my mom had to like take her to the hospital on Christmas day to get it like, you know, cauterized, which sounds like a nightmarish thing to me. Um, and so I was left alone. Uh, and my mom had, my mom and I had done a little bit of uh, present exchanging, uh, with each other. And so I had the first season of law and order. So I was like, all right, I'm watching law and order. But of course at that, at that time, my mom did not have a DVD player. So I sat in like the office sitting on an uncomfortable chair, watching law and order on the computer not done yet. Uh, I, for some reason, I imagine that like the heat isn't working or something, <laughs> or like not working enough. Like it's just it's now, not cold enough that you're like all wrapped up, but you're just like uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable uh, <laughs> for a number of reasons, uh, and then finally uh, everything got squared away with with uh, my grandma. Uh, but obviously that ship had sailed, so my grandparents were just going to they were going to spend Christmas by themselves, and then we would get together probably the next day or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and then. My mom came home. (laughs) I have to laugh. I have to laugh. And so she had to heat up the food that we would Uh have eaten a few hours earlier. She heated it up, set it on not like the dining room table, but like the kitchen table. Uh So it's much, there's a lot less ceremony to it. Sure, sure. Uh, And so it's like, okay, this is already not great. But then she like put on a CD of Christmas music and then started crying. And so it's just like, and that's the thing. And so it was very sad and I comforted her and everything. It turned out fine uh, eventually, but just like in that moment in my mind, it's like, this is Christmas 2002. This is what it is. Uh, Grandma with a bloody nose spent all day watching law and order. My mom is crying as uh, over our warmed up food as Christmas music plays. This is, like, if this were a movie, this is the scene that precedes somebody trying to kill themselves. <laughs> like, there's no question about it. And so uh, so it's a story that uh, I've told my friends, and they, they, have, to, they have to laugh, as yeah, I yeah. do. Because it is, it's like... At least, like, the house didn't catch on fire. <laughs> right. Doesn't that seem like that's the next step? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and so, uh, so aside from Christmases like that, uh, well, I have, al- I've always loved it. Um, my first Christmas after my dad died was actually uh, quite nice. It was, um, but it was, my dad died in late October, so it was still very raw, yes. you know, when it happened. Uh, and unlike you with your ever dwindling family, my Christmases growing up and always in my in St. Louis were massive, you yeah. know, huge, this huge Catholic family. You'd have at my grandma's house uh, Christmas Eve and then Christmas night, we'd go to my Aunt Kathy's house and then at some point in there we'd do something with my dad's family and they mm-hmm. were always just like, it's just scores of people around. Yeah. Um, and my mom decided she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to go through all these rituals they'd gone through. We'd gone through every year, you know, without my dad there. Yeah. So she and my three siblings and I, we went to Nashville. We just picked a place, went to Nashville and got a hotel room and stayed there for uh, uh, a few days and like went shopping and saw some stuff no. in, in, in Nashville. And, and uh, I think Christmas Day, we went and saw Elf in the theater. Uh, which is a modern Christmas classic. It, it really is. It, like, yeah, we'll that's get one to... that is going to stand the test of time. Elf yeah. is one of the go-tos. Yeah, uh, it's... So it's uh, a nice time. 
Yeah, and that's that sounds like a nice time, and that and yes, it is one of those things like okay, we're going to make do in light of the circumstances, but there were enough people, and it actually promoted a real sense of togetherness uh, between the remaining members. And if my if my brother had been like in town for Christmas, I think this could have been a really nice time for him and me. But also at the you know he had a, a son who was fairly new. He had a family of his own mm-hmm. in Denver, and so. Um, but you're saying if he'd been there, your mom wouldn't have cried. Do you say uh, you're essentially saying your brother made your mom cry? Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying, Matt. I know <laughs> I'm that you because I, I know he listens. Matt, I know you might actually be listening to this. No, I, it's not that. It's more just like she would have taken my grandparents to the hospital, or maybe all of us would have gone. Or, right, right. but if if it had only been she and my grandpa took my grandma to the hospital, then my brother and I would have just hung out and it would have been fun. Um, but at the same time you know, he has his own family. And so it's one of those things as, as I do get older, uh, I do not, I have the, the urge to have kids has not kicked in yet. Um, but when I do think about, do you, are you assuming that it will? I am assuming it will. Cause you're, you're 31, 31, 31. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, you don't have a whole lot of time. I know I'm no spring chicken, David. Um, but yeah, uh, but one of the things, uh, when I talk to friends who have children that are like age you know, three and up, uh, and are old enough to understand certain aspects of Christmas. Like they, like Christmas has become a different thing. It has become a fun thing again, but now they're on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Now they're the parents shopping for their kids and beaming when their kids open up, you know, this present or, or whatever they go out, you know, uh, to like a Christmas parade or something like that. And when I, when I think about that, that is when I get like, a little bit of an inkling to like that does sound like genuine fun actually to me uh to like because i because i've been the kid and i know how much fun it that was and now to provide that much fun for a kid sounds pretty good not that it's going to but that's the thing the inkling kicks in and then it goes away and then i'm just like man i still like getting presents myself so yeah we'll just focus on the selfishness yeah because um, that's what it's all about all right, we don't need to do another like therapy session episode. Uh, uh, what do you got? It's Christmas. Yeah, I, I had I had great Christmases as a kid. My memories are also of like my sort of later like teen years where my parents and I weren't like entirely getting getting along. And Christmas morning was like fun, but it was, there was always this sense, uh, not always, but in some cases, a sense of like let's just tr- get through today not talking about all the shit we disagree on. That's like I will, you know agree not to argue that reagan was the worst president ever and they will agree not to tell me that i shouldn't be wearing a length of chain as a belt or something like that (laughs) you know that's that's kind of my memories of like later uh christmases i think maybe you were more wrong than they were in that instance no reagan was not the best president certainly and uh, i'm not sure if i well and you know what here's the thing let's look at it this way since then (laughs) So at the time in high school, I could see where you would sure, come up with sure. that. But since then, we've had worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that chain thing, though, that's wrong. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't do it now. It didn't. It's not. It's not practical. Like, oh wait, you wouldn't do it now? I wouldn't wear. Oh man, like, I got to take my Christmas present for <laughs> you back. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get back to Christmas movies. Indeed. Uh, you were talking about Bad Santa, and I want to bring up a couple of the other that are maybe. They appeal to people like you and me who have a sort of um, anti-authoritarian or like anti-tradition type streak, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but they are 
classical Christmas movies. One of them is um, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a movie that takes Christmas, which is all about, like, warmth and, you know, beauty and togetherness and all this stuff and makes it about, you know, death and ghosts and all, all this horrifying stuff. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I think... I don't know if this is entirely on topic, but when has that stopped us before? Uh, in general, I think people who are into macabre stuff are misunderstood by those who aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people who are preoccupied with with death and decay and these sort of ghastly things are actually actually have a lot of respect for human life mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the implication that they are being crass or something about it uh and i think that that comes through in the nightmare before christmas uh that's that sort of i don't know it's been a long time since i've seen it like like with its wonderful life but uh um it's you know it's uh there's a there's a humanism to i think it's uh um uh dwelling on the macabre i guess oh i absolutely and what's more is by by dwelling on it the way that it does, because uh, that's the thing, uh, there are people, like I said about Bad Santa, there are people that have accused its ending of being like too schmaltzy and just like, where did this come from? Which I think people could probably say the same thing about Scrooged. That was um, my next one. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, That then, one I've seen a bit more recently. Nightmare Before Christmas, I feel like that one, it does have an upbeat ending, but it's not... And it and it winds up being like a pro Christmas ending, and it's and it's and it's kind of heartwarming, but it's not like explosively amazing, and just everyone's you know, it's it's just everybody kind of coming to one the same understanding, um, but it doesn't end with everybody hugging. It ends with uh, a budding romance um, that comes from somebody embracing who they are and where they're from and that kind of thing uh, instead of running away from it. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, so I feel like it's ending while upbeat is much more earned than, don't get me wrong. I think bad Santa earns its ending. I think Scrooge earns, earns its, uh, Scrooge earns its ending, but I think nightmare before Christmas, it just seems to flow naturally out of the story that is being told. It's not a, it's not like a total one eighty. It just seems like the, the a natural progr- progression, but you want to talk about Scrooge. Yeah, because that's, um. Uh, I feel, I feel like uh, I'm trying to think of uh, of an example um, to compare it to who who Bill Murray was in the 1980. That's in late 80s, or is that 90 by that time? Uh, I believe that's 89, 89 or okay. 88, right around there. Um, there's there's who he was, and then there's like sort of his legacy. I think yeah. You know, I I wrote in my review. I guess this was over a year ago. My review of um, the comedy starring Tim Heidecker that this was that the movie essentially is a realistic look of what someone like a Bill Murray, eighties Bill Murray character would be like in real life, hmm. which is like um, not taking anything seriously to the point of it almost being nihilistic and depressing. Um, and uh, I feel like there's a there's a legacy of uh, snark, is I guess the word, and, and and sarcasm and dealing with any everything through a layer of irony that I think. Bill Murray, to some extent, has a hand in it's sort of like how Jaws gave uh, is is you know people say that Jaws gave birth to the blockbuster era and every mm-hmm. terrible blockbuster since Jaws has uh, you know Jaws is somewhat responsible for and maybe that's 
it's true, but it's not fair. Um, and, and I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, as a generation, generational decay in, in sort of the Bill Murray type, it's become, uh, less and less human and more and more just, a uh, just, a just, a uh, caricature or just a, an archetype to be the Bill Murray type character. You were going to say something. His, especially in the eighties, his archetype was indeed really subversive. Like when's the last time you saw Ghostbusters? No, it's been a long, long time. All right. To the I, point where I can't, I don't even feel comfortable saying that I like the movie. It's how long it's been since okay. I've seen it. Like I would need to rewatch it to, to say that it's good. Uh, it's still good. Okay. Uh, I, I love it. I loved it as a kid. I love it more now, but I watch it now and his, both in the writing and his performance, the general commitment to the disaffected lack of emotion by Peter Venkman uh-huh. is astounding. Like, eventually, you're like, you've got to give me something. Like, you're, <laughs> you're, like, you're funny. And I don't say this as a, as, a, as a dig at the movie. I think this is a good thing. But I think it's so, it's so strange to have that be your protagonist. And I understand that Ghostbusters is a comedy first and foremost. But, like... You know, the city's being destroyed. Ghosts are rising from, you know, like there are scary things happening. And almost every other character seems to respond in a way that is, you know, certainly within who they are, but Uh still human. And he is just, I mean, when she says. Completely unflappable. Unflappable. And so. Well, sorry, when she says what? So when when Sigourney Weaver says you don't seem like a scientist, you're more like a game show host. The nature of a game show host is that they are un- they do not show any emotion. Uh-huh. Um, they are un- they are indeed unflappable. And so uh, so yeah, to have him, but that's the thing. In many ways, it makes him the perfect uh, modern day Scrooge. Like that's a brilliant bit of casting. Uh-huh. Um, and you've seen it more recently than I have, I think. Somewhat. Yeah. So, so do you like the movie? Scrooge? Yeah. I, I love it. It's one that I was actually, um, I guess, hesitant to revisit because I was afraid that I wouldn't like it. I'm always afraid with movies that I loved when I was young that I'm going to hate them, you know, um, like Back to the Future, which I don't hate. But, it, you know, I'm at least realistic about it, unlike the rest of the internet who's just fooling themselves into thinking that it's some sort of classic. And <laughs> it's just... It's a classic piece of commercialism, uh, you know, with it with it with a decent structure and pace to it. Anyway, um, hang on. Okay, point. hang on one second. <laughs> Look, I am not a I am not a huge fan of Back to the Future, as you know. Um, there are things that I like about it. I did not love it uh, as a kid the way a lot of uh, our contemporaries. And I did. That's the thing. Did you? I did. Yeah. Okay. I. You know, certain things made me incredibly uncomfortable, like the fact that his mom was hitting on him. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but nonetheless, I will say, like, when talking about a contemporary, it being a contemporary classic has, doesn't actually have that much to do with how good it is. It's it's how it is viewed. And here's the thing, a mixture of how it's viewed and if you revisit it, how much does it, can it hold up? And you just say, like, structurally good certainly memorable characters uh an interesting uh, exploration of like understanding the generation before us like there's enough there and i I would definitely that 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 aspect of it is definitely the most fascinating to me yeah the 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 metaphor and not the metaphor but the allegory i guess is that it's saying is that it's telling is that eventually you have to come to terms with the fact that your your parents 
were people before they were your parents. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I do find that. And the then maybe take that one step further. They might still be people. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, yeah. we're not going to go out on that limb just yet, but, um, but yeah. And so it's like, there's enough there. Like, for example, if somebody, if, if our generation said, you know, what's classic Goonies slow down. Awesome. That, yeah. Like go back and watch it. There's some interesting things in there, but by and large, it's not actually that good. Um, and I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to designate something bad or good commenters. Sorry if I made you feel bad there yeah, I think for liking Goonies. By entering into this podcast, you're entering into, there's an agreement that the things we say are our opinion. Did you read those comments? Fact. Yeah, I responded to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were not necessarily rude. It was somebody who is no, a, no, no, is no, a no, fan yes. of the show. So they're not, they weren't an, an asshole. But as I read it, my first thought was like, I don't know what to say now. Aside from saying it worked for me or it doesn't work for me, Goonies doesn't work for me. And so if you call it a classic, I'm going to say it's that's uh, yeah. incorrect. You can say that Goonies is a bad movie because we know that you're not you're not a you're not presenting a scientific like you know uh, inquiry into the qualities of Goonies. You're giving your opinion. It's, yeah, it's art. Anything we say is our opinion. There's no there's no facts about whether or not Goonies is good or bad. Although I think it's a bad movie. Although if ever there was a fact about film opinion, like that involved film opinion, it would be that Goonies is not very good. Um, <laughs> and so that's the thing. That's one where like people say, oh, it's a classic. It's like it's a classic because you were raised with it. That's why you're viewing it that way. So if you go back yeah. and revisit it, it probably will not hold up for you the way it does. It, it did when you were a kid. Nostalgia is carrying you along. Back to the Future, I think, does hold up. And in fact, there are things that I understand more now that I revisit it than when I was a, uh, a kid. So I think well, yeah, I feel hard like, on, I'm hard on Back to the Future because I'm hard on Robert Zemeckis in general because he has some tendencies that really bother me, and they bother me more because they happen alongside some really powerful stuff that he's able, that he's able to do. I would not mind doing a profile on him because he is. No, a, I could he talk, is. It would be a long episode because I could talk about Robert Zemeckis for a. He's long hard time. to pin down. He's like. Uh, He's by, he's like Barry Levinson to me. Like I just, I want like every time I, he's like trying to grasp sand. Like you're trying to get, and just like he slips through your fingers. It's like, I don't know who you are, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so speaking of, okay, so we're going back to Scrooge. We can go back to Scrooge, but I feel like all this talk about like a modern day classic, uh, maybe we can incorporate Scrooge into this. Like what in your opinion are the Christmas classics and then maybe we can use that to transition into like modern christmas classics well should we talk about let's talk about scrooge first because i um and maybe why it's not a classic like i'm not sure what it i'm not sure what it did at the box office i'm not sure what its uh earnings were but i think of it as kind of a cult movie Mm -hmm. not like you know pink flamingos or whatever right but it is a movie that like it's it's odd enough, and I'll use this word macabre enough mm-hmm. that I think if you, I, th- I think it would still it still would sit weird with a lot of mainstream audiences. You know, the fact that like we're used to seeing Marley portrayed as sort of like a ghostly figure with chains or whatever. This is a like grinning rich asshole who literally has like a golf ball falling out of his head he has a hole in the back of his yeah head. he's rotting and there are mice uh in him yeah and, it's yeah. really gross yeah you know? and when you get to the the ghost of christmas uh future right that's the the grim reaper type one. yeah like it's scary it's very yeah. scary and you open up its robe and there are like all these uh it's like opening up a gateway to hell yeah there's the yeah, lost souls yeah. trapped inside its rib cage uh 
it's really scary stuff, and I think that um, keeps it uh, a, a, a cult classic. But um, it is still, um, I guess, the point I'm getting at is something we, we keep coming back to. Are there any really subversive Christmas movies? It seems like they all seem to get at something, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I think it's a good thing because I like, or maybe I myself have. You know, I've used this show and this podcast and uh, and just watching movies in general. That's, I think, um, your relationship to art is um, about you learning more about yourself, mm-hmm. I think, in general. That's what um, yourself and the world around you. And so um, my feelings about Christmas have, have changed. I've become more okay with it as a secular holiday and not feeling like that's hypocritical. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel, but obviously you would come from a different uh, point of view. There, there was a time in my life, I would say, maybe like late high school into college, where I felt like if I had my way, I wouldn't have recognized Christmas at all because I was going through some sort of really like, you know, maybe in a, in a cathartic way coming out of my Catholic upbringing and like um, reconciling myself as a non-believer and like trying to figure out what that what that meant. And I think... Um, I've come to realize and a lot of this is through these movies who even when they seem like they're going to be subversive, you know, by being Bad Santa or being Scrooge, which is incredibly or or um, Nightmare Before Christmas, which are both incredibly macabre movies, um, they seem like they're going to be subversive. They still embrace something about Christmas. And I've realized that uh, I've come to terms with the fact that Christmas means something to us as a culture, um, no matter what your belief system uh, in your religion, and that's that's okay. It's taken on its own meaning. It's sort of like um, the English language. Uh, you know, there are words that, uh, or or word usages that um, maybe the more purist person, or maybe the more legalistic person, would reject. But they've become usages, and so when you're, I don't know if there are any high school or younger people listening. Mm-hmm. But um, if you do, if you ever say like, "Can I go to the bathroom?" and your teacher says, "I don't know, can you?" Your teacher's being a prick. Yeah, your teacher's being pedantic and prescriptivist, and you should and you should tell him or her that I said so and knock it off because "Can I go to the bathroom?" is perfectly fucking acceptable at this point. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know how I got there. Well, what I'm saying is, just like "Can I is Can I go to the bathroom?" is as acceptable as "May I?" Christmas as a secular holiday is just as acceptable to me as a religious holiday now. Uh, how do you feel about it, about all that? Uh, so I do recognize that, yes, Christmas has the word Christ in it. It is uh, about the birth of Christ. That's like the way that's, I spell it. I spell it Xmas. You, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I don't. Why are you, why are you waging war on Christmas, David? <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, and so, um, so I do recognize, like, uh, why people feel the need to uh, rem- remind people, like, well, this is what it ostensibly started as. And I try to remind myself of that. Like, I am a Christian, so I should enjoy this. But I like all – I like pretty much all of it. <laughs> like, my favorite – I don't – this could get us off on another tangent. Uh, it, did, it did on the most recent More Than One Lesson uh, because everyone seems to have an opinion. My my Probably my two favorite Christmas songs are Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and I'll Be Home for Christmas, hmm. both of which come from like the World War II era and have a, a kind of a sense of melancholy, neither of which are overtly Christian, but they are about that other thing, like togetherness. Now, Do you if, know what my favorite Christmas song is? What's it's that? It's from the same era. 
it's it's known as the Christmas song. I That's think a good most one, people yeah. know it as chestnuts roasting on an open yeah. fire because those are the first words, but it's called the Christmas song, and that's probably my favorite. Particularly the Nat King Cole recording, which I think was the I think he was the first person to record it. That's a great song. And just so, somehow like the Christmas songs from that era seem to maybe because of the 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 sadness of World War II and even right. after it was over, the recognition of like like the things that we've been through, but also so grateful that we're together now. Like they, they just there was a, a vaguely mournful quality. I mean, think about it. The last lyric of I'll be home for Christmas is I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's now that's the thing. You could take that as depressing <laughs> and it is, but you can take it as also just like the the warmth and the comfort that you can get knowing that there is a home to go to. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So like neither of those songs are overtly Christian at all, but mm-hmm. I love them. And if you were to ask me like, well, this, like the stuff that I respond to, it's that togetherness, it's giving to one another. And yes, underneath. And what, you're supposed to say that what Gloria in Excelsis Deo is your favorite Christmas song. I do like that song. <laughs> it is a good song, but um, it's no one's favorite. I'm not a huge fan of Little Drummer Boy and Silent, Silent Night, A Little Goes a Long Way. Hold on. Um, I like Silent Night. Okay, well. I have to correct you. Little Drummer Boy, like Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire, is not the actual name of the song. What's it called? Carol of the Drum. That's oh, I didn't know song. that. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Although I think a lot of recordings, maybe this is a Can I May I thing. It's been called it Little Drummer Boy so much that maybe that's the name of the song. But yeah, originally it was Carol of the Drum. Yeah. You say Escape, I say Pina Colada song. We've all got our <laughs> thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so now if you were to ask me, well, why do you? Th- what do you think it is about Christmas that makes it that emphasizes togetherness and giving of yourself and volunteering and maybe doing something for people less fortunate. It's like, I think that has its roots in the idea of who Christ was like giving of himself, sacrificing himself to bring people together, uh, because blah, blah, blah. Um, this isn't my other show. That's why I said blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so if, if pressed, I would say, yes, it has its roots here, but I, I fully acknowledge that it's other, it's these other things too. And I love the other things. I love the lights. I love the tree. I love the presents. I love, uh, eating food with people. Like I like all this other stuff too. So Christmas can be kind of whatever you want it to be provided, of course, that it emphasizes the things you and I are talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I, a lot of Christmas, my like memories of Christmas time and the thing I look forward to is uh, which is, um, you know, less of a thing here in Los Angeles, but it's cold, so let's stay in and watch movies. That's oh, like a big part right. of it. And that is tied to the fact that um, Christmas time is when all the best movies are out and when people are talking about, not all the best movies, but all, you know, studios release the better movies at the end of the year and people are talking about the best movies of the year. There's a lot of like, cinema is in the air in Christmas. Maybe that's... Uh, that might just be a you and me and people like us kind of thing. But it is a big You and me and everyone me. we know, David. Um, but yes. Uh, a great Christmas movie. Um, I think it's called Me and You and Everyone We Know. Uh, you're correct, yes. Uh, but that reminds me of something. You asked me what was in this sort of Christmas canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the first ones that I'll go to that was a favorite of mine growing up is Miracle on 34th Street, which I learned recently was initially, initially released in May. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Anyway, uh, that's not the point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think is the Christmas canon? And, uh, it's and a Wonderful Life. Where is, what is the age break 
you and I, I think, are of an age where we would consider a Christmas story in among maybe the 25 Christmas movies. Probably, yes. You don't have to go too much older than us where that's like a – that's too newish or that's uh, – where do you think the age break is in, in in a Christmas story being a classic? I'm going to say like 35. So just a few years yeah. older than us and that's too too new. Maybe, yeah. Because I grew uh, up may, with maybe. I don't remember ever – I mean, I like. I remember a Christmas story as early as I remember Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. You know, yeah. they're incidentally, if you're looking for a subversive Christmas film, a Christmas story is close. That's maybe as close as you get. Like, think about. Like, yes, it yeah. winds up being about togetherness, but they've like the presence. Like he wants this thing, and it winds up doing exactly what everyone thought it would. Yeah. He's got his stupid little bunny outfit. Like uh, the Christmas turkey gets screwed up. And so they go to this uh, Chinese restaurant with a bunch of stereotypes um, yeah. and just like, you know, what else is a stereotype? What's that? That's true. Apparently. Uh, oh, I'm good. Told, is um, Jewish people going to Chinese restaurants on Christmas Day? Oh, OK. Apparently a friend of uh, a friend of mine um, and someone you know of. I'm not sure if you ever met him, um, but uh, his his name was uh, Mike Hudson. He used to do the Hudson oh, yeah. Games podcast. He told me a story that he and his friends thought. They were doing a, a Christmas. They weren't going home. They were out here in Los Angeles. They weren't going home for the for Christmas. They decided, hey, let's you know do a Christmas story style and just go find a Chinese restaurant no. on Christmas Day. No, you can't get into a Chinese restaurant on Christmas Day. Fascinating. <laughs> Apparently, this is the story I'm told. I've run it by my Jewish girlfriend, who uh, sorry, fiance, who represents all Jews because Obviously. she's Jewish. Yeah. So, and apparently, it's true that uh, a lot of Jewish people do actually go to Chinese restaurants on Christmas. Man, <laughs> it's a good thing that I don't. Like Chinese food, because then I wouldn't have to deal with all those Jews. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, I, I was starting to say I was starting to say it's a good thing I don't like Chinese food. Otherwise, like you know, I, I could get boxed out. And then I was like, mm, I could go a, I could go a different way with right, that right. comment. Um, uh, let me ask you this, by Chinese the way. Chinese food, by the way, like I, I know I know you have a very small like right. narrow palate, but uh, Chinese food as we grew up with it is just as American as like pizza. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, friends of mine that, that like Chinese food and they know good Chinese food, they kind of say the same thing. Um, Which, I, I'm not, that's not a complaint. I, that's yeah. just comfort food. Like, uh, you know, uh, lo mein or fried rice is as much comfort food to me as mashed potatoes or pizza or any of those other things. Yeah. I want to get a big dish of beef chow mein. Okay. That's a lyric from Werewolves of London. Okay. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Let me ask you this real quick. Okay, this is more about Christmas in general. We'll get back to the canon in a moment. Um, and this might just be me complaining about uh, about things. I'm on Facebook more than you, but you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Okay. On the reg. So That's actually true. I don't spend that much time on Twitter anymore. I tweet stuff. I don't read that many tweets anymore. Unless they're like, I read my reply. How, you many, know, people do you, how many people do you follow? I don't know. Let's find out. You go yeah. ahead. I'm going to find out. Okay. So one big thing that happened this year is people complaining about uh, businesses being open on Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. and so now employees have to work on Thanksgiving. I follow 413 people. Holy shit. Yeah. I follow like 80. <laughs> I just feel like I don't, I'm not that interested in what other people say. Well, I feel like maybe that makes me a little narcissistic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so people are just like, they're very upset. They said, Oh, you know, let these people be with their families on Thanksgiving. And what it, 
what I see where they came from, it's that Black Friday basically got moved to 6 p.m. on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, if you happen to be, if you're unfortunate enough to work for Best Buy, that means you have to work on I Thanksgiving remember now. When I worked at Best Buy on Thanksgiving, like that weekend, it was crazy that we opened at 6 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, but it's, pe- it's 12 hours before that. Yeah, but so people are just furious about... They're furious about people working on Thanksgiving. And part of me is like, a lot of the same people that I, on Facebook, a lot of the same people that I know are angry about this have absolutely no qualms about going to a movie on Christmas. Like, yeah. isn't that kind of, I mean, it's still consumerism in some way. It's yeah. still requiring somebody to be at a job instead of with their family. Yeah, I remember. I feel but like I don't see, I don't, I'm not seeing nearly as many complaints um, on Facebook, which is to say none. I'm not seeing any about that. Stop me if I said this like really recently on the podcast, because I know I've talked about this before, but when I worked at the Arclight in Hollywood, the like the first round of like the group interview, like that's the way they do it is mm. that you interview with like 15 other people because a lot of people want to work at the Arclight, I guess. Um, a, a way that they thin the herd is by telling you, when you work here, if there's a holiday, you're working. Like, you don't get any holidays off if you work at the Arclight because no. they need all hands on, desk, on deck because everyone goes to the movies yeah. on Christmas or on New Year's Eve or on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving as well. Like, a lot of people go to the movies on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I probably not will. A part of, like, my uh, – uh, you'll go on Christmas Day? Probably, yes. I um, actually think that um, my fiancé and I are going to see Inside Lewin Davis – uh, I've already seen it, but she wants to see it. So I think we actually are going to um, the movies this year. The last time I went to movies, the movies on Christmas Day was our second date ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a cute little story. Yeah. We had had our first date. It was December 19th of 2008. I'm good with dates. And, you know, I love her, so I remember this stuff. Um, and uh, I recently had- forgot the day we got engaged. Go on. <laughs> we. Um, oh, yeah, I should remember that. Yeah, keep that one in mind. November 29th, I think, is when I got engaged. Um, anyway, uh, so we had our first date on December 19th. We hadn't made any specific plans for our second date. We, you know, it went well. We said we would, you know, talk or whatever. Um, and I guess I had must have mentioned on our first date that I wasn't going home for Christmas that year. And she, uh, obviously, Christmas is not a thing to her because she's Jewish. And so she, all her friends were either, like, celebrating or out of town or whatever. And she was bored. So she just called me out of the blue and said, do you want to go see a movie right now? And we went and saw Grand Torino, and that was our second date ever. And then we went and we ate at the 101 Cafe, and then we had drinks at the drawing room. That sounds like a fun Christmas. It was a really fun Christmas. Especially how things uh, turned out, you know. She wasn't just some floozy no. that you were uh, I mean, she was. With. I whooped her in shape. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, Grand Torino turned out to be a really good movie. I know some people are on the fence about it. I like it quite I think a bit. it's really good. And I remember, here's one thing I remember. I think it's deeply flawed, but I don't think that precludes it from being good. Um, Yeah. Uh, Here's one thing I remember, is that I was getting over a cold, and as a smoker, sometimes when I'm getting over a cold, I'll have a cough that hangs on for Mm -hmm. a good week and a half to two weeks, even when I don't feel sick anymore. Um, And so, I I was glad, I was like, okay, we picked Gran Torino, I'm glad we're seeing this instead of a comedy, because if it's a comedy, then every time I laugh... Yeah. I'm gonna get, have a coughing fit. Turns out, Grand Torino is hilarious. And there's a lot of <laughs> it's really yeah. funny. Yeah, uh, and so I had exactly the problem that I was afraid I uh, I, I would have. But she still agreed to go uh, get some dinner with me afterwards, so it worked out. That's great. Um, 
Anyway, this is a fun episode, David. Yeah, we're sharing, we're Christmas. swapping Christmas stuff. I also saw Inland Empire on Christmas Day. Back yeah, because that was part of your. That was a thing you did, right? Like with my ex girlfriend, we would see like unchristmassy stuff. Yeah, I think we saw like yeah, it was like this three years in a row. We saw Inland Empire in two thousand six. You saw Wolf Creek. I know that was one, right? Yeah, no, was Inland Empire two thousand five then? In the Empire 2005, well, maybe Wolf Creek was 2005. In the Empire was 2006. And I think six, No Country we saw in 2007. In 2007. Yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> those are not uh, those are not Christmas movies. Yeah. Um. So okay. Wolf Creek, by the way, that I, oh, that movie still like upsets me when I think about it. I don't know if you've ever seen in it. in a good way. I wouldn't watch it again. Okay. It's effective, but it's right. I mean, it's. I, I've always hated the term torture porn, and I actually it's something we could do an episode on if that were still a thing. Yeah. But I don't think we'll say that word, the, that phrase as much. No, but, now they've moved on to just applying the word porn to almost anything. Yeah. And I, it, I, it, I don't yes. like that. Um, although I think I have referred to Michael Mann's Miami Vice as real estate porn. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Wolf Creek is a really upsetting movie. It is, I'm sure it is. It's just like the, the last third of the movie is just people being tortured. I don't think I could take that kind of thing. Yeah, like, I don't blame you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people who aren't into that sort of thing. Yeah. It's effective, but I wouldn't watch it again. Um, like I want to see audition, and I saw Funny Games. I think I'm good. Funny Games has a point, though. I'm not sure that Wolf yeah. Creek. I don't know. I'm not sure what point it has. Do you see audition? I've never seen audition. Actually, I would like to watch it. Um, okay. But <laughs> back to the oh the candy yeah and yeah about. nothing will get you back into a discussion of Christmas like talking about audition. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so, so what's the, in canon? the canon? Okay, all so right. We got uh, we said a Christmas story and it's a wonderful life. I said Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Have you seen that movie? I've seen the remake, which is wonderful. I love the remake. Okay, um, it's got. First off, it's just like it's gorgeous. Like uh-huh. they they the color palette, the way the the cinematography, it feels like old timey it just it's it's that kind of idealized world even though it takes place in modern day it feels like a person's recollection of the 1940s or 50s or something like that um there's and the uh, cast is uniformly good go ahead uh i wasn't raised on like old movies you know like i didn't have parents who were like trying like always encouraged me to watch, watch older movies but there were a few staples um and the two main ones that leaped to mind were Miracle on 34th Street and Singing in the Rain, movies mm-hmm. that were like a regular part of. And then some other musicals, you know, and then The Sting, which I thought of as an old movie when I was a kid, but it's mm-hmm. actually not. It's 73. It's not that old. Yeah. Um, anyway. I was thinking about The Sting recently. That's an, that's an awesome movie. I really, love it. Okay, really moving is. on. Uh, yeah, so uh, the new Miracle on 34th Street features uh, Richard Attenborough as mm-hmm. uh, Chris Kringle. Yeah. And he's wonderful. Like, I, I just... I feel like he's an he doesn't get enough credit as an actor uh, in things. I, I thought he brought some interesting sensibilities to the character of John Hammond in Jurassic Park. But as Chris Kringle, he really does amazing things. And there's a there's a scene that in the original, I believe it's it's uh, a little girl or a little boy who speaks another language and then he starts speaking it. OK, yeah, that's is that what it is? I think so. in the new one. It's uh, a little deaf girl. Oh, who sits on his lap and his and and he starts to say something and then her mom says uh, you don't need to she's deaf she can't understand you you don't need she just wanted to see you uh-huh. and then he immediately starts doing sign language uh-huh. and it's a it is freaking powerful that's awesome it's great um and so and i've never seen white christmas 
never have either. But I know uh, my uh, other co-host, Josh Long, that's like his favorite one. Mm. He thinks it's amazing. Um, I do like that song, White Christmas. Um, that's not my favorite. It's a little cornball, that song. It is, yeah. They it's absolutely, they, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm drawing the line at that one. Um, but uh, so let's see. What what else is there? I'd say because well, I mean, I'm talking about f- it's wonderful life real quick. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because I think a theme word we seem to be developing here is like things that seem like they're going to be less Christmassy, and I think it's wonderful life has become so accepted as a Christmas classic that we don't think about the fact that it's about a like it starts with a guy wanting to kill himself. Yeah, like it starts as dark as any of these other movies, if not darker than any of the other movies we've talked about. I think uh, it's I think the reason that people certainly yes it takes place at Christmas but it really the events of it don't have anything to do specifically with Christmas. It could have taken place midsummer and it still could have been the same. Uh-huh. You know what I mean there's but it happens to take place at Christmas and I think it 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 echoes so much certain aspects of a Christmas carol that story that I love so, so much. Oh, right. Like there's a supernatural element. It's transporting him to see this other thing. Now with a Christmas Carol, it's seeing, Hey, this is how much of a bastard you are. Yeah. With this one, it's, Hey, this is how good of a person you are because look at life without you. And, but in both cases, what they're saying is that you can only define your life in regards to like, you're going to define your life through your own eyes to a certain extent. You have to, uh, a, a part of being a part of the world is um, that you uh, ha- that that you need to see yourself through other people's eyes. And that's something that I, as a, I guess I don't know, liberal, or whatever, like really believe in this. Like we're all in it together type of mm-hmm. type of thing. I'm not saying that's I'm not saying that conservatives don't believe that, but I think that that view of the world informs my liberalism in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think both. Christmas Carol and It's Wonderful Life are are um, are saying that like you don't get to define your own worth in in whole. You have to you have to give up some of yourself to the community and to the rest of the people in your world. And you should give that up voluntarily without any kind of force or coercion. That is why <laughs> I'm go. a conservative. That's so um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is Scrooge opts to be a good person at the end um and take personal responsibility right. uh no, moving on legislated exactly not, uh, exactly it's not generosity it's not generosity if somebody has a gun to your head right. uh moving on um <laughs> this, those ghosts are just a nanny state is what they are <laughs> um but uh but they're not because they're not forcing him to do no, okay no, we're moving I'm on joking. sorry um but yeah and that's that's i don't want to get into like uh, certain aspects that like Maybe one of my favorite things about my psychology class was the phrasing, uh, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. <laughs> Which, right. it's that's a theory, but it's one that, clear, like, this was uh, college back at SMS, so that was, you know. Southwest Missouri State. Southwest Missouri State. Called that. It's no, not, not called Missouri State University. It's always SMS to me. I um, don't have any particular. Yeah, that's yeah cool. I know. Um, but yeah, so that was what twelve yeah. years ago that yeah, I went there. Yeah, I guess so. So, but and that may be the one thing that I remember from that psychology class. That's how much it stuck with me because because then I was just like, oh, so what do I think other people think of me? Oh, good God! Uh, you know, <laughs> that's but, why you need Clarence to come down and show exactly. You what that's you would be. yeah, yeah. 
And that's and it's the clarity that uh, that Scrooge has when he, you know, when he hears how people speak of him, both when he's alive and when he's dead. And it's a and one thing that fascinates me about the the character of Ebenezer Scrooge is you you I find myself wondering what did he think people would say, uh-huh. or did he just not consider it? I don't know. It's I he, guess that's he's a I'm, fascinating character to me. And maybe that's the difference between Scrooge uh, and. Uh, uh, George Bailey, George Bailey, George Bailey, um, is, uh, that Scrooge didn't consider what other people would say, thought of him. And George Bailey is like you and probably a little bit like me and was assuming people, uh, uh, just thought the worst of him or was only focusing on, on the negative. Well, and, but there eventually, for a while, it's that he thought people were on his side in a certain way, but right, then right. Yeah. was faced with like, well, people did not come to his aid immediately the way that he needed them to at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, all right, I've given up hope. Um, and uh, but then, of course, it, it's revealed that, oh, he actually does. They do come together there at the end. Um, but yeah. And so It's Wonderful Life is a, is an interesting film in the Christmas in the Christmas canon, because for all the reasons that we're talking about, it doesn't, it affirms a lot of the themes that we're talking about, but it actually could take place at, at almost any time, mm-hmm. you know, a Christmas Carol and a Christmas story and, and, um, miracle on 34th street. Those are all very, those, they can be apparently released at any time, any, at any time, <laughs> yeah. but they take place very specifically at Christmas. That's what they have to do with. Um, I just watched today while I was working, uh, somebody went through and did and looked at 10 different versions of a Christmas Carol and edited them together into one story, um, right. as a way of, uh, all movie put, versions or movie all, and TV, uh, uh, some TV, like the Patrick Stewart one, uh, from the late nineties. I'm trying to think which ones I've actually seen. I've seen him up at one. Yeah. Which I've is wonderful. Scrooged. And I've yeah. seen Scrooge with George C. Scott. And I feel like that's it. I think Scrooge is with Albert Finney. I think, I think, uh, a Christmas Carol is with George C. Scott. Um, hold on. No, I, I believe you. Okay. I, I, I might be completely wrong. There are a bunch of them as it turns out. Um, oh, you're right. A Christmas Carol is George C. Scott. Okay. okay. I've seen Scrooge with Albert Finney, I think. Okay. Is what I'm thinking. Of. Uh, I've seen George C. Scott. I saw, I saw a couple of, of scenes with the one with, uh, Alice, uh, Alistair Sim. Um, and then the Muppet one and Scrooged. And then I saw the, uh, Robert Zemeckis, Jim Carrey live action one. one, uh, better than I thought it was going to be because Wait, not live action motion, cap- mo- motion capture, pardon me. Mo-cap, um, they call that what's up mocap. I'm not following you. That's what they call it. You take the first syllable of each word, motion capture, mocap, son of a bitch. You take off the shun and the sure. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to get rid of any shun right now. Um, so, uh, that's a bad joke. I apologize. Um, that movie is actually not bad partially because like he's trying to stay true to the story itself. Now he might add some element, some dumb elements, uh, and scenes that don't have, that could be cut very easily. But as far as like dialogue and character beats, it's all the same. And in part of me is just like, well, you just, it's hard to screw that story up. Isn't there like, doesn't he get like shrunk down or something? And there's like a Honey, I Show the Kids type of like rollicking chase scene. 
Do you think he's like running? Uh, here's what I like to picture when I think about okay. it. Like a scene that goes on a long time. I haven't seen the movie, but a scene that goes on a long time is how many days it took. Like how many days was Jim Carrey's job just to go whoa, <laughs> like for three days in a row? He just showed up on set and went whoa. Well, and he plays multiple characters, <laughs> right. so he had to do both sides of that. Because he was also because it's a scene where I think his character is like running away from the ghost of Christmas future. And incidentally, I just spoke earlier about character beats. That's actually not correct. Like by the time Ghost of Christmas Future comes along, Scrooge is he's resigned to it or he's 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 nervous Uh and he's scared, but he just says, lead on and I'll follow. Like it's it's it's. His willingness to do that is indicative of a character shift that we're starting to see. Um, And so by having him just run away from it in a – that is not a good sequence. Um, (laughs) And that is the first one that I – that like – That's the first one that would go in the Tyler Smith cut. Oh, absolutely. I got to start doing cuts of things. (laughs) Start getting sued. Um, But – but yeah. uh, So I I guess I've seen like four of them and I – and I've seen the play – I've seen like three different versions of it. And the best one, I'm sure I've said this on the show before. I know I said it on my other show. The best one, there is such a wonderful little thing where, so you know the scene where Scrooge, he's had his epiphany and then he talks to the kid uh, on the street and he says, what day is it? You know, all that kind of thing. Get the goose. He says, let's go get a goose, right? Yeah, that's it. Throws him a coin. (laughs) Says that. Hey, get a goose. Here's a coin. Run down the street. Give me that goose, kid. Remember, uh, give me give me that goose. Do you remember Paulie and the Sopranos? You want me to send the kid to Baja Fresh? Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> much, uh, I remember that so well that I, when I was I was driving with Jen and I said, "Hey, there's Baja Fresh," and she's like, uh, "I goes, oh, I, I should explain." Um, but uh, but anyway, so he he's talking with the kid, and the kid. This is a, a stage version I saw, um, and the kid says something, and I don't quite remember what it is, but it's it's something that like. Scrooge is getting impatient. And so he starts to like snap at the kid, stops himself uh-huh. and then proceeds politely. Like, cause the kid is not understanding something. And what I love about, what was that? He's dumb. He's dumb. Obviously he's a dumb street kid. He's a street urchin. Yeah. Is what he is. If he had any brains, he wouldn't be running the streets on Christmas morn. Right. Is that a thing? What is that? What a thing. Is that a, is that a line from the, no, I'm just saying, Oh, you're just saying it. I'm okay. Just saying. All right. It was, it was your use of the word mourn that made me think it was, uh, it was old timing. Um, but, uh, and I remember thinking that was such a brilliant choice by the director and the actor that yes, he has changed, but change is not uh-huh. a personal change. Yes. The initial spark can do you a lot of good, but eventually you have to make a choice. You have to choose to not be angry at this person. And I loved that because yeah. I, and I'd never seen it before or, or since in any production, uh, film or otherwise, uh, of a Christmas Carol. And so, um, so I think, and it, and I think at this point, like all of the now, Christmas th- carols are like classics at this point. Does the Robert Zemeckis version, does it follow the kid on his way to get the goose and do like a big like six minute long sweeping like unbroken camera shot where he has like has to like he has to like <laughs> ride the goose down a snowy like embankment or something? No, no, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> what it does have, David, is when uh, and this featured prominently in the posters. Do you remember? 
in the posters, uh, it showed Ebenezer Scrooge like flying through the sky on like a weird little rocket type thing. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. here's what that is. Uh-huh. Ghost of Christmas Past um, is meant to be like a candle. Like it, it gives off a tremendous light and it, and it has one of those like snuffer things. Uh-huh. And it just carries that. And Scrooge, uh, when he finally cannot take uh, Ghost of Christmas Past anymore he takes the snuffer from it and like snuffs out he murders it he murders, murders it. the candle yeah absolutely uh and then in the uh in the zemeckis version he does that and he tries to you know and he's like all right i did it he doesn't that's not a line right. um and then like oh starting to jiggle a little bit oh what hang on this oh, thing wow. cannot be contained and it's it like shoots, the end of lost and it shoots him through the air no um that's ridiculous it's like lost yes <laughs> Specifically when uh, Daniel Roebuck's character blows up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Spoilers. Um, anything else to talk about today? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I got nothing else. Okay. Well, I was going to talk about like... Half. Really? Yep. Okay. I'll, I will talk about things quickly then. <laughs> okay. Um, so in talking about modern Christmas movies and modern Christmas classics... You we mentioned brought, Elf. We mentioned Elf. You also about family reconnecting. Yeah. And... And that's one that because it's like it's Will Ferrell of all people, you know, I, I naturally assume any movie that features somebody who's like of very much of the time. Uh, I sometimes feel like future generations are not going to enjoy this. Uh-huh. They're not going to enjoy his his shtick. Um, and so with Will Ferrell, who, you know, did this. I think he was still in, on Saturday Night Live at the time, and it was a year before Anchorman. So he was not necessarily a bankable star. And his, like, overly optimistic, silly shtick, I just think, I enjoyed it. But my first, I was like, well, this is not a Christmas classic because people are not going to, you know, as we all get older, none of us are going to be like, oh, what this is, this is like a Christmas Carol and Miracle on 34th street. Like imagine somebody watching it's a wonderful life and then elf right afterwards. <laughs> but as the thing is, they're both heartwarming. They yeah. both have, and that one is, and this one's very firmly rooted in Christmas. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I, that I still love about it. Um, I got it once when I worked at blockbuster, I got a copy of elf instead of a bonus. And, uh, you know what? <laughs> All right, I'll take it. That's so, not a, you should have gotten, we weren't going to get a bonus. You should have anyway. gotten a bonus that was worth more than that. I don't know. I don't uh, get bonuses in my job either. But I wasn't going to get a bonus at all. I get like free food and stuff and a bunch yeah. of presents. I get so much stuff. Because in my job, I don't like to talk about, I'm not going to say what I do. Yeah. But we use certain vendors. And so at this time of year, they like to like, hey, remember us? Use us for your next like project. Yeah. So they send us all kinds. Of, there's been so much like candy and baked goods and stuff at, at my office the past couple weeks and yesterday i got an awesome bottle of wine nice yeah everyone in my department or at least on my team in my department got a bottle of fancy wine it's awesome did they say like hey look under your seats <laughs> everyone everyone gets yeah, a wine gets in wine the, in, in the mail it's uh, so i don't get a bonus but i get uh lots of good food and wine i got a bonus from my job this year that's good when i worked at um when i worked for sony mm-hmm. very briefly I got um, a uh, Sony tote bag, which uh, I w- used for years. Um, it served me well. And I got the, speaking of Zemeckis, I got the Polar Express on DVD. That movie, not a classic, in my opinion. Yeah. I watched it once. 
It maybe wasn't as awful as I thought it was going to be, but uh, I haven't never revisited it. I still have the DVD, though. So, okay, I mentioned uh, Will Ferrell and his shtick being very of the moment, and maybe future generations wouldn't appreciate it. And I don't think I'm right about that. When it comes to... to uh, I'm sorry, is it called mocap? Mocap. That's the one. Uh, when it comes to that, that, I think, is something that is of the moment that future generations will have no patience for. Uh-huh. So I don't think Polar Express, which, by the way, is not mocap at its best. Everyone has... A, everyone's creepy looking. Um, and it's got that whole freaking train sequence on the ice. Like, this is dangerous. These kids are going to die. I feel like Santa and the Polar Express would have a better hold on things. And then there's a part where like the kid loses the ticket out the window. Yeah. And it follows on a gust of wind like a bird. And it's like for 11 minutes, it's like, is the ticket the main character of the movie now? Anyway. And then it lands, of course, at Forrest Gump's feet. Um, And so, uh, so Polar Express, I don't think will last. I don't think the new Christmas Carol will last. Um, But, uh, but I do think, okay, I did not see the Santa Claus 2 or the Santa, the Santa Claus 3, but the first one I watched a few years ago, and I think it holds up tremendously. Yeah? I think it's actually pretty good. Um, I watched some of it on TV, like on TBS, mm-hmm. um, while helping my mom cook Christmas like uh, brunch Okay, last year in a small TV in my mom's kitchen. So... That's all those qualifiers. Okay. But yeah, it didn't seem that bad. Yeah. It's uh, like there are elements that could be viewed as silly, but it's like, is it the the magical elements that seem silly? Like it's just, it, it retains that kind of childlike sense of wonder. And of course, through the eyes of once again, like a cynical businessman. Yeah. Who, yeah, who over the course of, you know, one thing that I, that I, this is going to sound weird, but like something that always struck me was like, he gets fat, uh-huh. his hair turns white and he gets a big beard and there's literally nothing he can do about it. Uh-huh. He cannot lose weight. He can't shave. He can't dye his hair. He'll always, he'll be, he looks like this now. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking like, that's horrifying. <laughs> but what I, what I think is interesting is that like this, he is willing to embrace this look because that's who he is now. It's part of this thing that he want that he now wants to be, uh, by the end of the film. And that just like, that is, a, it's a, it to me is a very visual representation of what we're talking about. Characters giving right. of themselves. Speaking of lost, okay. lost Elizabeth Mitchell is, uh, uh, in the sequels. She's Mrs. Claus, right? Isn't she? I, I didn't see the sequel. I never saw them either, but isn't she? I, I remember I, her from like the posters. Anyway. Who's Elizabeth Mitchell? She was Juliet on Lost. Oh, okay. Right. Got it. Um, I don't know if she was in the first movie. I don't remember. Here's what I remember when I think of the first movie, that when he's gaining the weight, he has that work meeting where they come around with menus and he gets to order. Yeah. What? I don't... My meetings aren't like that at work. My meetings are like me trying not to... Trying to kill time by playing blackjack on my cell phone while people are rambling on. If I was served lunch in my meetings, I would look forward to them. Well, maybe this is a different thing. Yeah, this guy's got a fancy job is what it is. You know what else I watched fairly recently? What's that? Is Home Alone. Um, uh, And I never realized, it never occurred to me when I was a kid just how wealthy Kevin, the McAllisters are. Yeah, they're going to make it. And yeah, the size of that house is, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a mansion. 
And it never occurred to me when I was a kid. I don't know why. I mean, I just wasn't like as attuned to those sorts of things. That's why the uh, Wet Bandits targeted it. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I don't know why they went with that house over all the other ones. They all look pretty well off. um, Well, didn't they do a bunch of the other ones? I guess so. But that, that, that was the one that they really wanted. Huh. Well, uh, I don't know what to tell you about that. It's a nice house. It is, yeah. But, um, uh, no, I can't remember what I was going to say. Something about how how big that house is. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty big. And then, like, I guess it never occurred to me that, like, what, they're all going to Paris for Christmas? Like, the entire family? That's obviously expensive. Yeah. That sounds terrible to me, though. I, I spent one Christmas, my entire mom's side of the family, 22, 24 people on a cruise, a Caribbean cruise. Okay. The week of Christmas. How was that? It was. Uh, I was dreading it. I was eighteen. Yeah, dreading it. Had a blast. I don't it know was if literally I, the last thing I wanted to do in my life, and I had a blast. I don't know if I would like to travel. I mean, certainly traveling to be like at a person's home or something like that. That's something that I've had to do, and I understand. But like everybody traveling together to a place nobody's been before on the holiday. I guess maybe to me, like I want. The Christmas, I want Christmas time to be as rela- like relaxing as possible, and that sounds like the furthest possible thing from relaxing. At least a cruise, like you get a lot of your needs taken care of. Yeah. Also, what I liked that year, my parents gave us instead of presents because they didn't want to like lug presents onto the you know right. boat and stuff. They just gave each of us a certain amount of money to spend that week, hmm. um, which is like honestly what I probably wanted all my life. For like, or at least starting at the age of twelve or thirteen, I probably would have just rather had uh, the money. Um, and I was eighteen, but we were on a Norwegian cruise in mm-hmm. international waters, so I was of drinking age once we were in international waters. Watch so out. I spent the money on beer the whole week. I had all the money they gave me to spend the week on myself. I bought beer. That's wow. all I did. And you've come so far. <laughs> Take, take a nice swig of that. <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm trying to think like, oh, are we done yet? <laughs> I'll throw just a couple. Uh, no, uh, I know bah humbug, but come on. Like this is sure, sure. Uh, I'll just mention Charlie Brown Christmas special, which uh, really retains its power over the years. Um, okay. And yes, it does end with a with a Christmas. Uh, uh, pardon me, a, a Christian message uh, there at the end with Linus like actually quoting you know the Bible. Um, but throughout, I mean, it's really that one good. doesn't stick with me. I don't really remember it. It's just it's, I know the Rankin Bass ones, and Frosty I didn't the Snowman. Yeah, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. I said Rudy the Red Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> it's Sean Astin. <laughs> You're on a more casual basis with uh-huh. him. Um, I actually only saw those for the first time fairly recently. I didn't grow up with those. I grew up with How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is great. Sure, that's a good one. Uh, and um, A Charlie Brown Christmas. It was interesting. Both of those came about, I think, in the 60s, right? Um, I guess that makes sense, yeah. And both of them, it, it's it's fascinating how many movies there have been about Christmas not being about commercialism. And uh-huh. even going as far back as that. Yeah. And it's like, and those, those are things that people, uh, almost everyone I know, they'll watch those like every year. Yeah. But part of me is like, all right, it might just be everyone I know, but I get, th- but they show this on TV a lot. But I don't think it, I don't think it took. Yeah. <laughs> it just hasn't sunk in. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I sure do love the, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Well, 
time to go buy a bunch of a bunch of stuff and don't get me wrong i i enjoy buying things for other people it's a lot of fun yeah. uh to get them like something that they're not expecting but they love like that's that's fun well i have as of october 25th i have a little nephew now so i got to get him a little uh a little christmas present what'd you get him i got him because i wanted him to have something from his uncle in los angeles so I got him a little infant-sized L.A. Kings baseball cap. That's nice. So it says, and I mean, I want him to be a St. Louis Blues fan, obviously, and the Kings have knocked us out of the playoffs the last two years. So I, when I was on the fence about it, but I was like, no one else is going to get him anything from Los Angeles, and sadly, no one else in his family is probably going to get him anything hockey-related. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I like and want to represent. <laughs> I want to be the Los Angeles uncle who likes hockey, and so I got him. And that everybody else in the family roots against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I right so yeah <laughs> so i got him a little baseball cap that says la on it that sounds great yeah. and see and and obviously he's too young to really like appreciate that yeah. but that's who you're going to be and it'll be fun like and this is what i was talking about like the idea of us having children so that we can do that for them sounds like a lot of fun but um no well i, I know i don't like the traffic and nostalgia but as long as we're talking about stuff we watched when i was when we were kids uh, I just I just remembered stuff that I loved to watch. One was the Garfield Christmas special, I which I never saw. Oh, it had a part where uh, my dad thought it was hilarious, and so we would always laugh about it together. That just the animation when they plugged in the Christmas tree, mm-hmm. and all the family members go ooh, like they animated it, so their their lips are almost like yeah, like a like a trumpet, like uh, like the part you of a trumpet you blow into, yeah. you know, like uh, my dad always and I always laughed at that. And then there was another thing. That they aired every year when I was a kid called, I think it was called a Claymation Christmas. Hmm. And it was just sort of a like almost variety show type thing, but it was all Claymation. I think like the California Raisins like hmm. saying some stuff and it was just, uh, uh, I really liked that as a kid. Yeah, I didn't watch, I didn't watch either of those. I feel, okay, I'm just trying to mentally run through everything, like uh, everything we've talked about. I feel like there's probably a giant one that we're missing. Well, we haven't mentioned Gremlins. That's true. Because I couldn't figure out how to fit it into the theme. Okay. Other than taking place at Christmas, is Gremlins really a Christmas movie? Um, I mean, it, like, it seems, it, we were talking about are there any subversive ones. You mentioned A Christmas Story, which is a good candidate. Mm-hmm. But Gremlins does seem like, especially with Phoebe Cates' monologue <laughs> about her dad and how her dad died. Yeah. Like, that is the biggest fuck you to, like, what Christmas is that you can, yeah. that I can think of in a movie, really. Yeah, and I guess... I mean, if we're defining it as how the movies end, where we are at the end, where people have learned to embrace togetherness and that sort of thing, they have done that, but they're no more together than they were right. at the beginning. Yeah, so, not, not like John McClane and, and, right. and his wife. I can't remember. Bonnie Bedelia. I can't remember the character's name. I, I can't either, oddly enough. But yeah, so I feel like Gremlins, it takes place at Christmas, but I don't think it's specifically a Christmas movie. Okay, listeners, feel free to weigh in. I'm sure yeah, you tell will. Tell me why. I mean, Gremlins is a is a great movie. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when does hold on? You watch Gremlins too fairly recently. It also, in like a winking way, takes place around a holiday. I don't remember what holiday. But it's like it's never. It's not even really. It's like it's like Easter time or something. But it's not a part of the plot. But it's just like mentioned because there's that joke where Phoebe Cates again starts to have a like sad monologue about easter or something <laughs> okay and then yeah it's cut off i, I want to say it's easter i think it's something like that yes um man gremlins 2 is amazing you know if 
if Criterion was being really honest with themselves, Holly, that's funny. Holly, that's the one. Yes. If, if Criterion was being really honest with themselves and really, really wanted to embrace what they want, what they say they embrace, Uh they would really embrace Joe Dante. They would get a matinee in there. They would get uh, yeah. well, the, the howling. First thing I'm thinking um, is a lot of those. I think are Warner Brothers titles, and Warner Brothers doesn't, doesn't license anything. I think to uh, Criterion. Um, I guess there was like Stagecoach. I don't know. We should get our friend friends from the Criterion cast on because they know this stuff better. Yeah, but Warner Brothers and Criterion don't have a like a, the working relationship that uh, some other studios. Like I FM guess. Have. I guess it's that. I I forget about that. I guess I just mean that like. I mean, I mean, the Gremlins movies are definitely Warner Brothers. I'm not sure if Matinee is or if that's a Fox movie or, or what. I thought, it, I thought it was Fox, but at the same time, I, don't, I, I tend not to remember that kind oh, of thing. Oh, actually, doesn't that seem like the kind of thing would be Universal? Maybe. Because they did all the monster movies? Yeah, I don't even know. Anyway. But, um, but yeah, like Joe, like everything that Wes Anderson does, Criterion will release. Seems like it. And then, I, mean, I like I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is getting one. Um, the first animated film in the Criterion Collection. No. Yeah. Well, in the DVD, back when they did laser discs, they did Akira. Okay. But since they started doing DVDs, they're the first animated film ever in the Criterion Collection is the Fantastic Mr. Fox, or just Fantastic Mr. Fox. Sorry. That's fascinating. I did. I had no idea. Like, I can't. Certainly, I can't call one to mind but because well, you can't because but like if you would ask me i would have been like oh surely not like, i'm sure they've got like three of them in there um but yeah and so uh i would like but to joe see dante s- is every bit the auteur that a that an orson wells is or a john cassavetes or uh wes yeah. anderson and so i feel like and he's one that i feel like doesn't get championed enough except maybe by you and i and um you and me pardon me uh and so uh I feel like uh, they they have an opportunity here, or maybe they don't because Warner Brothers won't let them. But uh, I don't know. I feel like that. I think yeah, it'd be awesome I, I, I to get to go back and, and look at what his films are and which ones they uh, which ones they could get. Yeah, because I doubt they could get the Gremlins movies. They should fight for matinee. That's a movie that yeah. more people need to see. Inner Space. That's one that uh, I enjoy. Awesome. Inner Space. Yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, what did you mention? The Howling. The Howling. There's the Shout uh, Factory has that the, right now. The Piranha. Which Piranha? One of the Piranhas is him. The first one. Uh, the first one is him. The second one is James Cameron. The Spawning. Right. Um, Looney Tunes back in action. Obviously, that's Warner Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Burbs. I oh, yeah. Is. I think that's Warner Brothers. Small Soldiers. Yeah. I guess you, Civil War. I didn't see it. Yeah. But we should move on. Um, we should wrap up. Yeah, do. yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I've been to on get, teams for twenty minutes. But here. to to get back to uh, to Gremlins, yeah, I think we have actually hit on one. Like I was even, I'm even willing to entertain the idea that Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. But Gremlins, I think we found the one where, based on character arc and all the stuff that we've been talking about, <laughs> I, I don't think it is one. Yeah. So okay, well we did it. We ruined Christmas um, with Gremlins. Uh, so we can wrap up here. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find this podcast, all the other podcasts in the BP fleet, and all our reviews, including my aforementioned review of her and my review of The Wolf of Wall Street, should be up. Spoiler, I fucking loved it. It's amazing. Um, that's at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter um, at, at the pretension. That's um, 
uh, where I follow 413 people. And I have apparently eight, uh, 1,843 followers. Um, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the TV podcast that I do with King of TV, Paul Goble. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week, shoot, we'll be talking about Psych, mm-hmm. the musical episode of Psych they're doing. And we were talking about uh, the French series The Returned, or Le Revenant, which is um, airing on Sundance, and which I have to watch five more hours of before we can talk about it on Sunday. Oh, jeez. So I, 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 I picked that one to watch in order to make myself watch it. been sitting in my DVR, and I was like, everyone's talking about... You know, Giving yourself a deadline in the world make... is talking about The Returned on Sundance Channel, right? Of course, yeah. It sometimes feels like, you know, when we've talked about how the internet creates these like niche communities where it feels like... So it feels like everyone's talking about The Returned, and so I uh, had to watch it. So I've watched the first three. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's weird. Uh, I really hope that the next five episodes, uh, you know... Uh, resolve something uh so you can hear me and paul talk about psych and the returned on the this week's hey watch this may i make a suggestion okay uh so i'm kind of late to this party uh american dad okay is great is that right yes and apparently and i and like for the last couple years anytime i would like go over to hulu and just throw on an episode it was always really good Uh and i thought what the hell is happening because family guy is unwatchable (laughs) and then i found out seth MacFarlane stopped being a creative uh creative force behind the show years ago he still does voice the voices that he needs to but he left it to to, uh these other guys uh whose names i do not recall but um and now like the show I've been watching it all this. I think they're in the, their last season oh, and, all, and I've been watching the whole season. It's so solid. It's really great. It's maybe the best like animated show out there right now. Having not seen very many of them and I'm, and I'm not caught I'm up on think what's South the, Park. I would say off the top of my head, my favorite animated show, current animated show is Archer. Our, you know what archer's archer's pretty damn good it's hard it's hard to beat that yeah but that's but, just uh, I'll tell you, i'm trying to think what else no. there oh no you know what fuck that adventure time adventure is time. the best I, animated I, show you said archer and i was quite surprised yeah adventure time i guess i was yeah. just thinking because you mentioned american dad i was thinking of like grown-up animated shows right yeah adventure time is one of the best shows on tv and that's that could be considered grown-up right yeah, but it's not only grown up. Okay, but I would suggest uh, simply because it is the last season, and I feel like I feel like uh, you should give it a watch because I, I am quite surprised how much I've been enjoying it. So, and I'll listeners, to, let that be a fit that in because I don't know. We I try to watch like assign stuff that's airing the week that we're doing the episode, mm-hmm. and like all the network stuff is going into hiatus right now. And uh, you and you did a you did an episode uh, a couple months back about uh, Survivor. Would you like to know who won? Uh, sure, yeah. It was Tyson. I don't remember that. I watched the one episode. I have no He's a skinny guy with a long blonde hair. They're all skinny with long blonde hair. That's kind <laughs> of... In my memory. He's the skinny guy with long blonde hair. Pardon okay. me. But uh, listeners, right. sorry to spoil that for you. Oh, that's fine. We didn't talk about Amazing Race at all. We did not. Oh, as soon as we're done here, we're talking about Amazing Race. Why won't... Why wait? 
Oh, <laughs> Uh, I like the idea that somebody turns off once we start doing the announce, the little wrap up thing. And there's 20 minutes of conversation about amazing race. More important um, than the season itself. Have you seen the leaked cast for next season? No, I haven't. I, I, I don't like to look at that stuff, but I oh, will look at that. Send it you to are me. going to fucking but, hate it. Uh, uh, All your least favorite teams are there. It's not Joey and Megan, is it? Oh, F- fuck. Afghanimals are back. Uh, you know what? The Afghanimals. They I grew- did such a turnaround on them because I, I spent so long being annoyed by them mm-hmm. that I forgot to enjoy how much they annoyed everyone else. And by the last couple legs, I was like really enjoying how much everyone hated them. And I was almost rooting for them yeah, because but everyone hated them. Uh, you like an underdog. I know that. I guess so. But I was also just like these teams, like even Jason and Amy, who, spoiler one, um, who I seem like nice enough people. Yeah, they're I not think bad. The people who take the race too seriously always bother me, you know? Do you think Jason and Amy took, them t- took it too seriously? Uh, not too seriously, but they it did seem like they were racing more than they were enjoying themselves. And that's why, like, I've never, you know, I talked about doing a turnaround on uh, on on the Afghanimals a little bit. But Travis and Nicole went from being early on top two probably teams on the show for me and yeah. part of that was travis i don't even remember it was i can't remember what city they were in but they were like trying to figure out magellan's like uh course across the world mm-hmm. and travis had this thing like you guys we should stop for a second and look at this view this is amazing and i was like yes that's exactly what i would hope i would be if i were on the amazing race yes and so travis and nicole were like i held them up as like that's what i want to be and yeah. then they became maybe my least favorite i know like there's it's stronger because it's more recent, but maybe my least favorite team ever on the race. Yeah. Not even team. I, I mean, I, I don't know how much to blame Nicole because Travis is a, not a nice person. It was a combination of th- things where, like, here's the thing. Like, she was genuinely, in a number of ways, incompetent. Anytime something had to be built, she was not the person to do it. And yet she but kept winding up doing it. How much of that is... um the the pressure he's putting on her like that's the thing it's hard to know don't be wrong her incompetence does not warrant the way he treated her and so that's the thing so like i couldn't even be frustrated with her myself which i was because he was infinitely more frustrated as i'm sure like i might i don't know if i'd be that douchey he couldn't even be supportive like that's yeah he was awful to her by the end you know and then it would say things like he was being magnanimous, like talking about how, uh, you know, you have to accept that it's a team sport. Basically, what he's saying is like, I have to accept my, my wife's a fuck up and I can't do everything yeah. myself like I should. Yeah. As opposed to like when Oklahoma, uh, like when I forget the name of the guy who like basically took so long to do the thing that he knocked them out. And so he was like, hey, I'm sorry. And the other guy's like. I couldn't have done any better. Right. Yeah, it's like, that's that, exactly that, what he should have said. That's what you're supposed to like, say. Like, Travis, like, you took some fucking classes and dropping a bag of flour from a plane. <laughs> like, you'd be, <laughs> like, you're such an expert at that. You don't know. You could have fucked up just as bad. Yeah. You know? And and I feel like at that point, you know, with her, like, cr- climbing up the glacier wall and dropping the <sighs> thing, like, I feel like, yeah, that's because the last three legs, he's done nothing but berate her, and she's yeah. probably inside her own head, as I would be so much... Uh, I, I and then reading, she climbed up with one and he, he didn't even have a word of like, hey, that's pretty amazing. I'm proud of you. Like, yeah, no, because that's hard to do. Yeah, it's he, hard to do with two. He was unbelievable. And I, I like uh, I read the uh, television without pity dot com like mm-hmm. forums about the show. And like someone was saying, like, I imagine 
Nicole's like friends and loved ones watching this with her and saying, do you see now what we've been trying to tell you? (laughs) Um, But uh, what I wanted to ask you, and this might be an off topic conversation is like, I I, we talked about a little off topic before. Did it frustrate you that they revealed that Travis and Nicole are Christians before they revealed how awful and patriarchal Travis is? Uh, It does bother me. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, it's just, I try to look at it from a certain way. I try not to be incredibly judgmental. Certainly, I think that his behavior is terrible. But that's the thing. There have been times when I've been remarkably mean to Jen. There are times when she's been remarkably mean to me. And so if someone were to know that these people claim, let's say we are on a reality show in some capacity. um, And we put ourselves out there as Christian and then sometime during the course of the thing we got really frustrated with each other and like let loose with what i know we are able to do uh-huh. and people are like these guys are terrible christians now don't get me wrong i think that like even in the midst of the stress of the race i think we could be supportive of one another um yeah. especially then, you know, I, 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 sorry to interrupt okay. i'll let you get back but like there's a difference between what you're talking about because jason and amy also who i ended up liking quite a bit mm-hmm. and also i think i don't know that they were as devoutly christian as as travis and nicole but yeah. also were seen praying yeah, yeah. Uh, i think you know um they sniped at each other it never bothered me yeah because it seemed realistic what travis and nicole did or specifically what travis did yeah and nicole um i guess gets some blame for not standing up for herself but i don't know how much uh to blame her there yeah um that's a different thing. That's yeah, the, stre- the stress of the race, I think, in their case, opened up or revealed something that was already there as opposed to just, hey, there's like something deeper and, and uh-huh. much worse that needs to be you know, dealt with. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it always bothers me. It happens on Survivor. It happens. Uh, it happened with this. It happened with the uh, the snowboarders a few seasons ago. Not that they were they weren't Travis, certainly. Well, which ones are the snowboarders? They're the they're. They were the snowboarders. It was two guys who talked about uh, that they're a Christian, and then they were oh, they right. were talking about like uh, the the talking about the difference between Christianity and Buddhism, or just saying like That's you right. know I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but it really bothered you. Whereas me, it's just like mm, clearly they were asked a very specific question. They responded in a very specific way. Yeah. They didn't answer how I would necessarily have answered, but. I feel like they were set up to be a little bit douchey, but certainly yeah. they were not. They were not Travis. Can I mention something about that television about pity message boards? Go right ahead. And uh, you'll like this because it's me talking shit about liberals. Oh, good. Because there's a certain strain in liberalism where uh, a, a lot of these th- these snooty NPR types they they like to point out they like to point out sexism or racism as if they've found Waldo. Like, oh, there it is. Sexism, you know, or racism. Like, it's fucking think about the context, you know? So Jason and Amy, um, Jason didn't like, um, like, some of the things he said when they were in, uh, like, uh, Abu Dhabi, Mm -hmm. uh, these these dumb liberals jumped on it like he was being disrespectful. It's like, no, Jason maybe doesn't like that his wife has to cover up every part of herself in this country. He disagrees. It's not him being disrespectful. He doesn't agree with that. It's a different thing. I came to really like Jason and Amy a lot. I did did too. Now, maybe it's almost by default. (laughs) Uh, But but, like it started as default. And then by the end, it's just like, oh, this actually did bring them closer together, which is something that doesn't happen a lot on The Amazing Race. There's a part of me that is that is resistant to liking a team that I feel like doesn't need another million dollars. Like I feel like Jason and Amy 
like she's very successful he owns his own company like a million dollars isn't as big to them as it would have been to like the mountain men or whatever fair enough although it's owning your own company doesn't necessarily mean you are right doing great but you know i'm sure they could still use a million dollars who couldn't? All right. This has been so far off topic. And I know, but I it's think, been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, uh, it's like an Easter egg. Yeah. It's an next, you know what? It's a Christmas present. There you go. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 